Do you ever get the feeling that only the most noisy and problematic people are getting attention on the internet? Do you want to make your voice heard and feel like your opinions matter? Cornelius Frey is working to make this a reality. He's the CEO and co-founder of the online opinion sharing platform and marketing tool, Opinary. With a background in business and banking, Cornelius was frustrated about not being able to participate in Germany's political discussions whilst living abroad. With his sister Pia, he founded the startup which currently has as many users as people living in Germany. That's over 80 million people. We spoke about what exactly draws people to use Opinary, the moral obligations of running such a platform, and how to help your team grow and succeed. We also talked about the challenges and advantages of diving into entrepreneurship with a sibling. So tune in to hear more. Enjoy! The thing that I was really fascinated by, and it always have been, is um, people. Finally, technology did something. What would be the single most valuable piece of advice you'd give us? We found what we loved to do, and we met people with passion can change the world for the better. That's what we believe. Welcome to Speak Like a CEO, the podcast where we find out about the secrets and pitfalls of CEO communications. My name is Oliver Aust, I'm the founder of EOPSA Communications, and I'm here with my co-host, Lena Carlson. Hello, and today we have Cornelius Frey on the show, who is co-founder and CEO of Opinary, which helps the world's leading brands and publishers engage, understand, and convert their most valuable audiences at scale. As CEO of Opinary, Cornelius is responsible for building the team, financing the business, and setting the vision on making opinions matter for brands and publishers alike. Welcome. Thank Welcome. you. <laughs> We'd love to ask some uh, rapid fire questions at the beginning. Coffee or tea? Tea. Green one. Very good. Do you work better early in the morning or late at night? Late at night until early morning, but not after. Okay. The so morning's both gone. Both really. <laughs> uh, who's your biggest inspiration? Biggest inspiration is my team here, the folks around. Great. What's the most used app on your phone? Audible. Facebook or Twitter? Twitter. And one thing on your bucket list? Uh, I want to cycle across the United States from east to west or the other way around, depending where the wind goes. I think there's one better, one easier way. I'll take the easy path. I, I think there's no easy way to cycle. Why Audible? Because is it, as a CEO, you don't have time to read, but you still want to sort of engage with, uh, with books? Yeah, I like books, exactly. And you, know, you, you get time when you're on your bike or, uh, I don't know, in a, watch the kids trying to fall asleep or whatever, yeah. no longer allowed to talk to them, you can actually get thoughts in that yeah. you yeah. wouldn't just, in a really transactional way, yeah. uh, do your urgent chapter reading. But yeah, mm-hmm. you, makes you know, that makes about a book a week, which is nice, nice, nice input yeah. without too much to now, you were saying just before we started recording that Opinary started off as a side hustle and actually the name came to you in the middle of the night. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what Opinary does? Yes. So what we do is we develop technology that makes the web interactive, as we say. And what that really means is our tools are embedded in content of publishers and brands and ask the user a question that's directly related to the content they're on. Hey, you're reading an article about electric cars. Why are you so interested? And some of your listeners might know the speedometer kind of tool that allows a very gradual um, uh, sharing of opinions for users. And what users get out of it, they get a voice. They, you know, the, the balance swings around and the content suddenly becomes about them and what they think. 
And after voting or sharing their opinion, they see how do other people think. Um, and something about that seems really attractive to users. So there's more than 80 million of them currently. Um, the rates at which people say, yeah, I've got a view on this and I want to share it, um, are about 60 times as high as all those things that are out there, liking, commenting, sharing, tweeting. So it seems to be a real urge for people to become a part and share their view. And we're a business and we help our publishers and brands better engage. And In my yeah. head, I'm thinking like Instagram stories where you can say like yes or no to a poll or drag like the little button up by how much you like the content. Is it these kind of tools? It can be very similar to those. So there's lots more. There's quantifying your opinion, what percentage of the budget should go on to healthcare, whatever. So there's many more tools. But the basic principle is exactly that. Say what you think and see how it compares to hundreds of thousands of others with one real twist I think the mission we have is bringing that form of engagement to the open web and helping not just you know let that sink away between the walls of the big platforms but help publishers and brands engage their users directly without the intermediation of those big walled gardens and I mean you went to Harvard Business School so I suppose there's a sound business model behind it and you said 80 million people a month um, use it right a month that's that's a huge number so theoretically one per, you know everyone in Germany uses it every month but obviously on a, on a global scale but what's the business model behind it so how do you you know ensure that um, you're profitable as a company going forward yeah so uh, business school is all well and good but this actually started <laughs> without any business model uh, I'll come to what it is today and why it's an exciting one that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> um, we started this really as a as a nighttime side hustle, so to say. I was living abroad for close to 15 years, and I was frustrated at not being a part of that debate back home in Germany. Mm -hmm. I've not really, you know, found the comments frustrating, found I was stuck in filter bubbles on social media. And out of that came a very, very early idea back then called Presse Compass that my sister and now co-founder, along with Max and Steven, uh, Pia, mm -hmm. um, and I developed at night that had zero business model, but really just was about that idea, uh, letting people share their voice and seeing what others think in a relevant way in content on the open web. Out of that, what we then realized was that two more things come along. You really get an incredible understanding of your audience because you can ask them the most pertinent questions right away and build up a real direct, actionable understanding of your audience first. And the second part that we realized is all those people that engage, you already got their maximum attention. Then, depending on their opinion, contextually offering them a next step, whether that's the most interesting newsletter at that moment, a test ride in the most relevant, you know, hybrid car that conversion of an audience that's already so engaged, that's already shared so much with you in that moment is actually huge, as is the engagement. And out of that, we said, let's really build a scalable marketing and conversion channel for our publishers and brands on top of that first moment of engagement. And that's mm -hmm. how we make money. Mm -hmm. Why do you think engagement is so important in 2019? There's suddenly been a trend to people wanting to have their voices heard in different platforms. Why do you think that is? Two parts to that is one is the most angry people have always made themselves heard. The ones who shout the loudest, they were always there dominating the channels. I think the frustration is with those that might have a differentiated opinion or one that isn't quite out there. They don't get heard. They don't get, you know, they don't take the time to write comments. They don't get uh, to the top of the uh, social media algorithms because it's not, you know, inflaming enough. And giving that silent minority, 98% of the people, who have an opinion but who never get hurt, giving them 
a voice and letting them move the needle, so to speak, and letting them see, well, how do I compare to the others? And often finding out that uh, the opinion picture out there is much more nuanced than traditional channels of engagement might suggest at first. I think that has a real pull for people. Yeah. It's really zeitgeisty, isn't it? So I think, as Lena said, it's, it's where we are in the debate, how to get out of the filter battle, how can you uh, sort of move beyond the commons, which are you know, basically anti-selection, if you like. There seems to be a lot of potential, and, and uh, I think you've just raised quite a bit of money to, to grow the company. Where do you see yourself and the pinnery in, in a few years' time? You know, how, how big do you want to be and how scalable is the business? Yeah, so... We often just throw out these numbers. We always start with the user because we want to uh, create an amazing user experience first. We threw out the goal of 100 million users. And as you were alluding to earlier, we realized, wow, that's going to get tight uh, in Germany alone, just speaking by the numbers. Uh, in three to five years, we say we want to give a voice, orient and empower, as we call it, one billion users. Wow. Um, and what we do is when we say we're building the ecosystem for interactive content, <laughs> we allow anybody with great content to create interactive experiences super easily, to distribute them to the right space in feed, in text, in videos, so that users can actually experience those questions, to analyze the insights and to convert those users to a meaningful next step of a user relationship. And if we want to get to 1 billion users and a profitable, great business, that means we want to allow anybody with great content brands and publishers like to give their users that experience on the whole open web. So we want to be the go-to place for that kind of engagement outside of the walled gardens. That's suddenly an ambitious goal, um, but I admire it. So what's the, I guess, the strategy or the plan to get there in terms of communications, making partnerships, uh, reaching new users? What are kind of the three big things? First off, publishers play a really big role for us because while they are struggling with their traditional business models of you know, programmatic advertising and free content, they still have fantastic content and they still have loyal audiences. When we now expand and as we expand into the UK and into the US, for instance, we do start with those publishers who embed our content very widely, who engage their users. And we've won, for instance, in the US players from HuffPost to CNN. And um, that is a great first entry point because it allows us to reach a huge number of users and create a base uh, of engaged users that are super attractive to the brands that we then work with. So making a first step in a market, building a huge user base through these publisher partnerships um, is, 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 is super important. And then monetizing that with the right kind of brand relationships is, is the second st uh, step. That's kind of our one-two mm -hmm. model there. If we talk about communications, um, you founded with your sister, and I love my sister dearly. <laughs> I think <laughs> found with my sisters that would uh, come with some communications uh, challenges as well. But how, how was it for you and Pia? And Pia, by the way, was uh, one of the fantastic speakers on our panel on campaigning, no campaign, no gain, which is also a bonus episode on the podcast for everyone who wants to check it out. Very cool. So first of all, it's great, but we've had our challenges along the way. I think what helps... A couple of things. One is we didn't set out to build a business together. I had this silly idea while being based in West Africa and calling up my sister, whom I otherwise only saw at Christmas once a year, and said, hey, you want to toy around with this a little bit. It was not threatening. It wasn't suddenly, yeah. hey, there's a family business. You're part of it. So it, it kind of, we, we fell into it a little bit. That helped because then you don't have that huge question looming ahead of you. Uh, the other thing that helps is being complementary. We are 
very different than our skills and favors. She writes creative books. She has a, she's a trained journalist. She loves content. She is our, you know, foreign minister, as we always say. So she's <laughs> responsible for a lot of the uh, outside expansion. You mentioned my portfolio of, of, of tasks, quite different. That helps because you're not sort of competing with each other for the same spot. That said, speaking about communication, um, she really taught me a super important lesson up front, which is whenever stuff got tricky, I, as she told me, fell back into the old brother, little sister kind of role model. You know, into these old roles that are yes, super strongly it. trained. And the last time we lived under one roof was 15 years ago. And to be honest, she just very, very clearly <laughs> said, you know, this isn't working not like that. That's not working. No. You know, not with me. And that, was, that was a good, strong message, and um, I, I had to take it or leave it. <laughs> I took it. I love um, that you call it a foreign minister for the company. I think that's a great term that people should use more of. Um, what has it been like for you guys in terms of communications, in terms of the external events that you choose to go to, and internally um, as your team grows immensely and very quickly? In terms of external communication and events. We, on that side, have had less of a strategy than just authentically speaking about what we are really passionate about. So I don't have a playbook, a, a PR and external relations playbook ready for you, which is that if we speak passionately about what we really care about at the events where people really do care about that, from small editorial meetups to online marketing rock stars just a couple of weeks ago, that has worked pretty well. And then... Having noticed that events are powerful for us, we started also actually quantifying our return in terms of concrete leads and business generated from events. And by that, finding out where are the people, where our message really speaks to their needs and problems and issues. So we've got a two-thronged model, kind of. One is really start with our actual core message, but then seeing where and at which events does that really meet a super relevant audience for us. And that's, there's more and more events coming up, but by now that's about 10 events for us per year that really matter. What are some of those measurements that you go into? Because I'm sure companies and CEOs out there would love to know the secret to knowing which events are worth it. It really, to be honest, isn't that scientific. It's um, a cost per lead measure than how much did we invest in total in the event. If it's just a presence, sometimes we have a big boost like at the Mexico or so, sometimes we have nothing at all. And then finding out, okay, do we have really interesting client conversations or importantly, candidate conversations? That's a big thing as we're growing fast, uh, stemming, stemming from that. We try not to quantify much more beyond that because the other half of it is gut feel. Is this, is this fun? Is this, do we connect with the audience there? So that's the, that's the one measure on the one half. And the other thing is it was media relations. So do you engage with the media? Do you talk to you know, startup media or um, other media that may help you getting the word out, attracting candidates, attracting customers? Yeah, so we have working with, I think, 18 of the top 20 uh, media outlets in Germany and working very closely with them from the editorial team to product to monetization. We help them monetize through our tools as well and build closer relationships with their audiences. We have very close relationships with them. And they built organically over time. Now they were growing internationally. One really interesting way of building on those has been that we actually indeed have our own podcast as well right. in partnership mm -hmm. with OMR called OMR Media. And one really cool part has been just when we say we'd love to speak to Nick Rockwell, the CTO of the New York Times. 
well, we just invite him on our podcast. And then organically, there's a fantastic uh, conversation going on. And you notice very quickly, is that just a really cool podcast episode? Or can we help Nick Rockwell solve a really big problem that he has on his on his product? And then a partnership may very well jump out from that as well. So yeah, yeah. that's so a you, great tool internationally. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, we, we are all in. So um, do, do, do you think the media, I mean, obviously they're a key partner for you, right? And, and they're in the way, your gateway to your audience is. Is that fair? So they're, they're much more important fair. for you than for, say, another startup in another space. Spot on. Yeah. yeah. I think um, particularly in 2019, there's been a shift, though, in like media relations in terms of journalists have less time. They're harder to get um, in touch with. How have you gone about that in terms of like building that rapport with the people that are most important to your business? I think one thing, because you immediately you're spot on, you're completely correct, newsrooms are getting thinned out and in order to produce great journalism and reporting these folks don't have time to play around with 10 more nice to have tools it really boils down to if you have to boil it down to to to, to one metric with our tools in about 90 seconds you create incredible interactive content that drives more engagement more first party data more conversions and more newsroom insights than a heavily produced video and if you tell that even to a busy newsroom that's experimenting with video and video is the next thing and all of that to say well yes of course video is fantastic can be great for forms of reporting but if in 90 seconds you can get the impact that otherwise you get in 90 to 900 minutes then that's a pretty strong argument for using these tools and i think thus helping them not just make their content better but having it pay in into that ever more important metric of how close am I with my audience and am I able to actually make that audience loyal and, and tie it closely to, to me and my publication then it becomes a pretty strong win-win setup that has allowed us to even work with heavily strained newsrooms. Totally. I think yeah. you've really hit the nail on the head there saying, you know, you find that pain point and can address it. And, and uh, obviously the, the media business model has shifted from advertising, online advertising, which is, you know, pennies on the pound basically compared to print, um, to, to subscriptions. Uh, you engage the audience to sell more subscriptions, so you have a business model as a media outlet and, and you help them achieving that, if, if, I, if I interpret you correctly. Exactly. So there's exactly that, is turning that engagement into concrete sign-ups, newsletter subscriptions, paid subscriptions on the one hand. We do actually think at the same time, uh, not all advertising models are flawed. We just think most of them are, most of them are created in a way that users don't care. So True, if then yeah. it's pennies on the pound, no yeah. doubt if I have a medium rectangle banner that no one ever cared about. And we're actually quite excited about some forms of advertising. So we use our tools as well to allow brands ask relevant questions in exactly topically matching context, spinning the wheel around, saying the user engages first, initiates, initiates the conversation with not just the publisher, but also a brand. Say, you know, anybody from Ford uh, to Siemens on a topic that really matters in that context or uh, Commerce Bank. And that then actually becomes a powerful, effective, and high-priced uh, advertising channel. So we think advertising is not broken by definition. Just most forms that are currently being employed don't yeah. respect the user and are terrible. Uh, I, I agree. I think we all prefer to see advertisers actually relevant for us than for something yeah. we're not, not remotely looking for. So... Opinary has been growing a lot recently, and you guys have just moved offices. How big is the team now? Uh, we're about How 53 people, um, and we've been you know, roughly doubling that from the past year. Um, actually, we're not expecting to double again 
this year with really key open roles for all your listeners from data scientists, front-end developers, uh, graphic designers, UX designers. They can very happily talk to us, but we have, you know, kind of we're, we're at fighting strength and some of the departments will make relevant additions to internationalizations as well. Um, but we think we've got a good basis to continue growing really strongly with a core team in place. And I think one of the super important elements of that has been building a second leadership level uh, and layer of folks like Leo, our lead data scientist, Valerie, who runs the whole brands team, um, and having passed on that baton to uh, a group of nine really strong leaders who uh, help us scale much more efficiently mm -hmm. as we stand. You started off in Berlin, obviously, but now have offices in London and New York as well. I mean, can you can you elaborate a little bit on that journey? I mean, that's quite a step, obviously, especially to New York and, uh, you know, to uh, be known in, in that environment and replicate what you have been doing in Europe. Yeah, office is a big word for those. We have fantastic teams. They definitely count as, as offices, but both of them in co-working spaces, not, you know, grand, yeah, it's good. grand central villas. I think um, <laughs> two parts have been really crucial to us there. One is on the basis of the team realized along that journey how important it is that they really identify with our product, our culture, our values, uh, and our vision. We didn't at the beginning think that'd be so crucial. Uh, it really is. And now that we have that team that has exactly that in place, um, we are growing with much better alignment and speed. The first one and the second one is that we do notice our model of having such user recognition that our tools in editorial usage, be it, say, in the UK from Times to FT, are really visible to our clients, to the applicants, uh, to uh, further publishing partners really helps because you step in and have a level of credibility. And ideally, that's the most important part, wherever we expand, if anybody you want to hire or do business with says, I've seen, I've not only seen those tools, actually, I've used them myself and I enjoy it. And when I see them, I use them. That's our strongest lever for growing fast and striking more partnerships and hiring more and better people. So two really interesting insights here, if I, if I may tackle them one by one. The first one is that you, in order to grow, you need to find people who are fantastic, aligned with, aligned the, vision. with the vision, a fantastic cultural fit. It sounded as if you didn't start out with that insight and maybe hired people who were strong on the technical side or had the right things on the CV. Is that, is that fair or did you, from the beginning, know that well, I need people who, who share my vision. Uh, we didn't know that in the beginning, and I don't think we hired the wrong people. What we did is we didn't support them as well as we could have. So, for instance, sending one of our very first hires and German office leaders, uh, Luisa, to the U.S., who has been with us here for over two years and helping our local team there really translate all those things that, with a six-hour time gap, are running past them on a never-ending Slack channel in person. That's been super powerful. So not the wrong people, but how do we set up those people to succeed uh, and how important that is. That's been our big learning. I think like dealing with a remote team is a challenge for any company, throwing the six-hour time difference. You really have to, I guess, pick up different ways to communicate with them, whether that's, you know, having weekly calls or sending people over there. 
I guess you use Slack and email a lot as well. Are there any additional um, channels of communications or tools you've discovered that uh, you know facilitate that process? Not sure if it's a tool or channel of communication, but uh, very old school. We get them here as well, so we invest a lot in our quarterly offsite. Every single team member either just joins uh, or gets flown over. We just had it uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we take at least one full day secluded somewhere in Brandenburg or Mecklenburg Vorpommern and spend a whole day entirely taking ourselves out of the daily running of the business um, and both you know tackling the really thorny challenging interesting uh, tough issues or just having fun together mm -hmm. and that I think that's a channel of communication it's it's about you know also where you communicate and these offsides have been incredibly powerful for us of creating that cohesion of culture of purpose of dedication and are they very structured or is it more uh, sort of workshop um, brainstorm character or how, how, how do you go about those we've learned a lot there they are still fairly structured but they used to be intensely structured like 11 60-minute sessions over the course of a day uh, the attempt to <laughs> militarily like roll them through followed by an hour of fun in the calendar of mandated yeah. fun mandated fun <laughs> I got a magician one time uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> no but we really learned how you know cutting that program down to a third of the of the pre-planned content actually multiplies the mm. intensity of discussions and output I think that's interesting also to um, recognize, I guess, the value of face-to-face -face meeting in terms of the people that you work with, because I think that really does form a different kind of bond. Um, and you were telling me also before that you um, sometimes send people to other companies or maybe to the publishers, correct, to go and see how they're doing business and understand it from their side so that they can bring it back to Opinary. Yeah, and vice versa, exactly. So we have four core values, and one of them is grow and experiment. We really make the promise to our team that we'll do everything we can to help them grow personally and professionally and we also expect them to invest personally both the budget that we give them but also their time and mind space to really picking up an area of strength that they can grow in and one thing that we discovered over the past year really is how weird it is that this incredible idea of internships stops when you're done with your vocational training, university, whatever it is, and people just settle for their job and then they maybe read a book or go to a conference or do go to a training. And for us, these opinary internships or op internships, as we clumsily call them, uh, have been super <laughs> powerful. Hashtag op internship. <laughs> I think that hashtag exists somewhere, yes. <laughs> um, so a few examples. We currently have uh, Nadia from our close partner Burda spending two months with us because she said I love Burda but I also want to know how a startup how venture type business goes about creating great content-based businesses so she's spending time day to day with us she's hopefully learning a lot we're definitely learning from her we've had our own team members spend time with Gruner and Ja uh, with international publishers and brands sending them there sometimes just doing their own work from their offices and finding out how do they communicate what cadences of communication do they use what's different and they come up so loaded up with insights sometimes with pride saying you know these guys might be huge but you know we're not doing so bad we also know a thing or two but very often with really fresh new learnings and for myself for instance we introduced Uh, objectives and key results, OKRs, semi-hyped management technique. And I read books from Eric Schmidt and I went to conferences and, and, and all the rest of it. The most I learned is uh, when I spent time with a CEO friend on their OKR fair for two half days. 
and really saw how do they talk about it, how do they get co-created, what happens in action. So we really believe in that form of practical training and actually want to really expand on that for our clients, for our own team members, and even maybe for a wider ecosystem that's interested in that kind of format. I think it's a great. So interesting. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, And I haven't heard of any other company do it. We've spoken to a lot of people on this show about mentorship. This kind of takes it one step further almost and says, right, okay, this isn't just your mentor in the background. These are the people you're sitting next to every day. I like the practical. Yeah. And I'd love to come back to the second aspect, which you mentioned, which um, maybe could summarize by the term keystone clients. Um, You mentioned the London Times and the the, um, uh, New York Times. Yeah. Um, These obviously very among the top rank of media outlets in those respective markets. So is that your strategy to go to the top players, win them over, and then everyone else sees you in the market? And, oh, okay, if the you know, New York Times, Times of London works with you, there's probably something to these guys. They have been vetted. Yeah, there's a couple of things to that. So it's definitely our strategy. Few more things that we're finding. One is in order to get to our long term goal of 1 billion users, we don't actually need millions of publishers. And we still think some of these keystone publishers, they don't all need to be sort of super serious sports players. There's, you know, a whole variety of cooking and lifestyle publishers that we really happily work with. But kind of the 80-20 rule of, you know, 20% of the potential partners can easily make 80% of the impact. Eight, that's been working really well for us and allowed us to build super close relationship with those players. The other part is that we actually have one firm belief that's been stopping us from just randomly opening up our platform to anything goes, anybody comes, which is we do think we have a responsibility for the kind of content that runs on our platform. We think the old Facebook adage, we are just a platform, that no longer holds up in an age of hate speech and a you know ever more polarized, destructive form of online debate. And we've had our experiments with US publishers in that case who used our tools very freely. They even belong to a big group and they just use our tools for borderline racist content. You know, creating polls like Mexicans in the US, just a nuisance or a real threat. And we think we have a responsibility for making sure, because that's what we started for, for curating great debate. And as much as Mark Zuckerberg might be gunning for it, and we have heavy AI use for our distribution and creation of our tools, it's not ready to pick out garbage content yet. So we really want to work with partners whom we trust and who we believe create those experiences that drive the fact that so many users love our tools for the clarity they provide. And that's also another reason why we want to work closely with highly vetted partners. I think that's really cool. And it goes back to something a couple of weeks ago that Pia said at our panel. So obviously, Opinary's tagline is make opinions matter. She said maybe it should be make questions matter. Yeah, because I think that's making questions matter. I didn't know that tagline yet, but I like it. Um, (laughs) It's the unofficial tagline. It's the unofficial tagline. Uh, Because it really is about you know, turning, turning the tables around. It's, I can target ever more precisely. I can personalize ever more hardy, but this is all, if I have content, that's all sending, sending, sending. It's a one-way street. And our whole idea is there's such huge potential from turning that one-way street into a two-way street of dialogue. And for us, then, then that does all start with a question. And what are, what are your insights into what questions work better to engage the audiences? And are there any, any regional or country differences? couple of things on that one. One is questions about the future. Should Theresa May, after now effectually resigning, do dot, 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 work much better than 
analytically backward facing question. Was it the right choice to dot dot dot? First one is topics are much more can be much more liberally chosen. So we really started out with a big passion for big, heavy political debates. I think a year ago, the biggest question for one of our publishers from southern Germany was, do you eat Nutella with or without butter? And basically this this ripped the entire country apart. Like People have very <laughs> strong opinions on that. And that's fine. What is the answer? <laughs> it's 49, 51. I don't remember. Yeah. Well, for me, it's... I like butter. I shouldn't say that to, 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 to half the country to because the they feel very strongly about the other way around. A third <laughs> one that's interesting is I mentioned our engagement rates that are off the charts, the rate of people that don't just see a question but feel compelled to answer it. And that is strong across types of content, across regions and across social demographic groups. The only slight little tweak that we could find out which really amuses us and that's holding true is there are outliers in percentage engagement rate among A, folks under 25, because they're just, you mentioned those Instagram interactive functionality, they're just used to having a say and having a swipe wherever. And the other one is, I think, men over 50. They just got an opinion <laughs> and everything. They're awesome. But you also find those on the comment there. forums. Yeah. They have strong feelings about the teller on <laughs> But it sounds as if the, the clarity aspect is also really important, right? That's right, that's right. And I think one more part where we uh, realized how clarity matters is uh, when we recently, with our big goals and growth ahead, started talking again about, you know, looking a little further out about the next few years. And one really interesting learning there was that you can use the terms vision and strategy and mission for those. And if you look them up, they all have fairly clear definitions. But in a typical environment, they mean 10 different things to 10 different people. So our team-wide conversation really picked up when we made those questions much more clear and specific. When we didn't talk, what is our long-term strategy? But when we started asking, who do we really want to be when we grow up? What do we choose to not do? What are the concrete problems we want to solve right now? Why do we come to the office every day? So, you know, doing away with these wishy-washy big picture words and replacing them with super clear questions that can foster fantastically better debate inside a team. That's really great to get the clarity and I guess the concrete answers that people go away and say, right, we've got a tangible action item. Makes, yeah. Makes it worthwhile. What's coming up for Pinnery? What's what's new? And you've already mentioned your podcast. For instance, what, what's it called? Where do people find it? Podcast is called uh, OMR Media. One really interesting thing that's coming up is we're expanding our software-focused business where our tool don't just get used on the publisher site and get made available to our brand partners there, but as what we do, engaging an otherwise passive audience, understanding them better, converting them is just as relevant to our brand partners on their own properties. We're making tools selectively available for our big clients that might be non-publishers, but they have content and they have audiences to achieve those goals and be in more direct touch with their audiences and clients and convert them better on the open web. And that's a really interesting area of growth for us. And geographically, do you, do you foresee uh, moving into other uh, countries or cities following New York and London? We 100% foresee it, but for 2019, we are laser-focused on nailing the, uh, the US and the UK expansion. Question after that, I think there's the rest of Europe, there's Asia, there's plenty of interesting markets. But as I mentioned up front, how important it is for us to really carry our culture across, yes. this is something we'll take step by step. 
I love the laser focus. And any last piece of communications advice? Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's one that's very much in line with uh, our uh, opinary mission as a whole. As a leader, when communicating, uh, ask more than you talk. I like that. Very good. Cornelius, thank you so much for your time. Look really forward to seeing your chapter in the book, which is coming out on the 5th of September, Speak Like CEO, which will have all the 30-plus um, CEOs and founders in it and all the top advice they've given us. Thank you to you and the others, and uh, we'll see you next week. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Bicycle, I want to ride my bike. I want to ride my bicycle.